Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 or on 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111 if you would like to get in. We will be doing some interviews like we do most Tuesdays, but there will be some times it won't be too totally open phone lines like we do on Monday and, and a lot of Fridays, but uh, so there'll be time to get in. It was... Um, you know, the the Saints game and then for me and the Bronco game last night for Michelle, it was just not fun games. Um, it worked out great for the Saints in the end, but it was just most of the game was just they just looked terrible and you were just on pins and needles and you were kind of right on the edge of the cliff waiting for someone to push you off. And fortunately, they they hung and no one pushed and ended up winning. And then last night was just torture with the Broncos. Just torture. The defense plays terrible in the first half, really well in the second half. And the offense moves the ball up and down the field the whole game. And they can't push it in. And it's like... You, 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 three times, well, twice you fumble at, you know, the one-yard line, and then you, looks like you score a touchdown, they call it back with penalty, and then you end up having to kick a field. And it's, and, and, it, and then, again, more late game, game management where everyone is blasting the coach. Again, we I want to get into that. If you have any definite opinions, I think some of the th- criticisms I've heard of Hackett last night are very well warranted. Others, I could see the other side. You know, at the time, I was like, why are they letting the clock run down? But I'm also a guy that I, I'm real big on if you're going to play that game, you got to let the clock run down. Because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to kick a field goal with a minute, and then give the other team time to come back. So if you know you're going to kick the field goal, which apparently he had made that decision, uh, I'm good with running the time down. Now you can say, well, he shouldn't have kicked the field goal. That's a different issue. But I'm okay with running the clock down. And then trying to field goal. If he makes the field goal, um, then you want less time after the kickoff. There would have been 20-something seconds, and therefore it would have been more of a challenge for Seattle who hasn't done anything offensively the whole second half to, 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 to fight back and, and, and try to get a field goal of their own. So it's it, it was just I mean, that was just torture is how I describe For a Bronco fan, that game was torture. Now, I don't buy, I also don't buy. I understand why everyone's saying it, but I don't totally buy it in the moment. Like, it's too easy, it's too broad of a brush 
in my opinion, to say, well, you paid all this money, you just gave him a $250 million, whatever it was, contract extension to this quarterback, and you're kicking a field goal? Well, then, if you're going to say that, well, then never kick a field goal. Like, well, you got this great quarterback, just throw, just throw a touchdown pass. Well, they didn't sign him for to convert fourth and five, although they want him to. They signed him to have stability at quarterback for six or seven years when the previous six or seven years they haven't had any stability at quarterback. They've had like 20 different quarterbacks or some crazy number since they won the Super Bowl. So I don't buy that argument. Everybody's saying it, but that's just too broad of a brush. In the moment, he's saying – now, again, I'm not saying it was necessarily the right decision, but in the moment, he's not worried about a $250 million contract. I, I, I just don't buy that line of thinking. Oh, well, you paid him all that money. Well, then you got to go for it. Well, no, there's times, even though you got a great quarterback, that you pay a lot of money that you don't go for it because mo- it's all about that moment. Do I feel like, well, first of all, the left defensive end for Seattle was offsides all night, and they're not calling it. So they have this huge advantage. He was in the neutral zone all night, jumping the snap count. Um, and, and so they're having trouble with pass protection. Now, he made the mistake, and it made it even worse for him. As he said, I think the previous snap, there was, there was a sack. No, but there was a big-time pressure two snaps before and he was really he was under m- more pressure than he was earlier uh and he obviously didn't wasn't feeling real confident where his play calling was against what Seattle was doing defensively like he was most of the game because most of the game they just went up and down the field But most of the game, running was part of what they were doing. When you're in that scenario, you can't really run the football, although I guess he could have because they had some timeouts. But, they, they, you know, when you get in that mode, you know, you're not really thinking about running the football when you're trying to advance the ball in the last minute of a game to try to kick a game-winning field goal. So if you take running out of it, it obviously makes you know protecting the passer different, and it makes um, it makes it easier to defend the pass. And so I think that's something that some people aren't taking into account. Look, sixty-four yard field goal is not a great thing, not a great option. But neither is fourth and six with the game on the line. Either way, you're looking at do or die, and. McManus is a is a is a really good kicker. I I said at the time if this was in I, before he kicked, I told Michelle I said if this was in Denver, I'd feel a whole lot better about this sixty four yard field goal than it being in Seattle. Um, I think in Denver people would have a would be a little less harsh on his decision making. But he obviously did was not confident in a play to call. He's the play caller. So he must not have felt too confident about where the chess match was going between the Seattle defense and the uh, in his offense at the time, um, and that includes being able to 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 protect Wilson 
because the protection was breaking down a little more. And I think some of that is because they felt like they weren't going to run the football anymore, which they had run it effectively the whole game. And that a running game helps protect the passer. And again, the left defensive end kept was in the neutral. He, he just kept jumping the snap count on every, I'm like, are you ever going to call this? Um, so it was, it, he, he's getting bashed nationally. I, I think I can certainly question it. I, I'm not as quick to totally bash him because, you know, one of the things that I've heard of criticism is, well, if you call your timeouts with a minute to go, well, then even if you miss the field goal, even if you go for the field goal or or go for it and you miss it, well, then there's time, but there's really not. Like, if you call timeout with a minute, there's 50-something seconds left. You only have two timeouts. Even if you call both of them, they can run one play, run off 30 seconds. You're going to have less than 20 seconds, and they're going to punt. So basically you're saying, I'm going to block a punt, which is which hardly ever happens. So I don't buy that part of the criticism either, that you should have. If you're going to kick the field goal, if you're going to kick the field goal, which apparently was a decision that he made, well, then you want to run clock because you don't want to give the other team 40 seconds or 50 seconds to try to get a field goal on the other side of the kickoff if you make the field goal. So I'm okay with him running down clock, especially since he was you know, going to try to 64-yard field goal. But it's um, but man, it's been um, it's been that week one of the NFL was nuts. I mean, it really was a lot of crazy game management, including the Saints and the Broncos. A lot of missed field goals, a lot of made field goals. It was it was a crazy first week. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello, 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 Is it me. Yes, sir. Yes, go, hello. Go ahead. Okay, so it's me. Um, uh, so I was wanting to know what your thoughts were on playing Andy Dalton during the easy games and then playing Jameis Winston during the games that are tough to where all he has to do is prepare for maybe half the games, maybe a third of the games, and then he would be fresh for the playoffs. I am. Uh, I am. I got to tell you, I am a little worried about Jameis making it through the season. He he walks like an old man, the way I put it. But I am for not. I am for never watching Andy Dalton play football. <laughs> I'm not an Andy Dalton guy, like a lot of people. I don't want. The only time I want Andy Dalton in the game is if it's a mop up duty and he's handing off. Here's my thought, real quick, is that. Our team is so good right now with such good wide receivers that could get open that even Andy Dalton could have won the game against that that last game by by just playing a, a, a you know throwing the ball seven yards here, ten yards there, and letting the wide receivers do their work and letting letting Alvin Kamara do their work. And about 50% of the games are going to be like that. And I feel like when Jameis Winston has time to prepare for a game, like let's say Tampa Bay last year, the first game of the year, of course he had time to prepare for that game. He threw five touchdown passes. 
you know, uh, I think he was 18 for 21 with five touchdown passes. Uh, it seems like when he has time to prepare for games, he's really good. Uh, when he doesn't or when he discounts a team that's a lesser than team, he plays terrible. He plays down to the level of competition. And I am not a fan of Andy Dalton either, but Andy Dalton can hit an open wide receiver. That's so wait a minute, you from. saw an open wide receiver and, on Sunday's game in the first three quarters? It, I, I didn't see Jameis miss one open receiver. The wide receivers and how open they were. I, 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 think, I think the problem with Sunday was there were no open wide receivers. So I'm worried about, like, they got to they gotta come up with a new route scheme to me. I, I don't think there were any open wide receivers, which was a little gotta, disconcerting in the first three quarters. I, I gotta go look about. I gotta go look back at the uh, yeah. the availability. I guess you, yeah. should, you should say about the uh, the wide receivers in the first three quarters. I know last year it was terrible with Jarvis Landry coming over and, and improving our wide receiver core and the the new young wide receiver that we got. I mean, it it should be. It, it, it should be – we should be way better at the position than we are. No, no, no. There's no question there's more talent at wide receiver. But I – I, uh, I, 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 look, I think the Falcons just totally outcoached and totally outplayed the Saints. And the first three quarters was upsetting. But I, I, I think you got to give Jameis credit for not forcing the ball because I don't think there were any open receiver, many open receivers, if any, in the first three quarters. Now, when they went to a spread and the pass rush and having to deal with blitzing was not part of the deal, well, then you know he can throw the football, and so they were, and they have some Where's talented receivers, like you That's said. With Dalton, you could do the spread, and he could just step up in the pocket and throw it in three set, you know, less than two seconds. Whereas you have Jameis hold on to the ball for five seconds, run around forever, play breaks down, and then you're looking for open wide receivers. And eh, I just hate that style. I understand. Well, I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you very much. Hey, it's a good time talking to you. First time caller, long time listener. Blah blah blah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I just, I'm not an Andy Dalton guy. I'm sorry. I, I, I think if Andy Dalton, look, I'm sure there were a lot of people that wanted, who don't like Jameis, who wanted the, after the two quarters, after three quarters to put, look, if they put Andy Dalton in the game, I think they lose. I, Andy Dalton can't throw the ball down the field like Jameis. He just can't. Now, it is possible, to his point, that in the first three quarters, um, he would have gotten the ball quicker because a quicker release is is part of what you can do against a pass rush. But uh, I really, you know, I hope Jameis stays healthy because I'm not. I'm just not an Andy Dalton guy. But well, well they got to get better. There's no question. Whichever way you you see that, they've got to get better, and they will. Again, it's the first game. Most of these guys hadn't played together. They didn't hardly play in the preseason. Uh, it's a preseason game. It was a preseason game. It just counts. And so they got to get better. And if they don't, it's, it's, I'm going to be wrong and we're not going to have a good team. But uh, I, I think they'll get better. We've seen this before. Happened in 17, happened in 18, happened in 19. They, they start out the season just looking miserable. And, and it got better. So 
I think I think it'll get better. All right, let's take a timeout. We'll come back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. All right. Speaking of the Astros, if you would like, if you're a member of the Rewards Club, and if not, you need to become one by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And once you are, you are eligible to win four tickets Saturday, October 1st, Astros Rays. It's the last Astro weekend giveaway. You could also... Get a tour of Minute Maid Park and hotel accommodations for that Saturday evening. Astro Weekend Getaways powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston Downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Outstanding performance for the Astros last night. Framber Valdez extends his uh, streak. Now, look, to me, the streak broke the last inning. I, I'm just not a big fan of that other. I, I'm... To me, I know he gave up, I think it was four runs and two of them were unearned, so they say that extends the streak. And by the strict definition of it, it does, but I, in my mind it was over. But anyway, the bottom line is uh, he continued to be very consistent. He got some breaks last night. Team game. You know, they, got, they threw two guys out at the plate. They made some outstanding defensive plays. Uh, our boy El Pedro Grande is very underrated defensive. He he he's hardly played left field this year. He has seven outfield assists, and he's hardly played. He's only played like uh, they said it last night, like maybe forty to fifty games in left field this year, and he has seven offensive assists. Very impressive. But anyway, uh, Jeremy Pena had a good night at the plate and defensively. And so that was um, that was great to see. Um, they still stranded runners in, in in scoring position here and there, but I guess that's baseball. But uh, Icky had a two run single, and uh, was that the ninth? Might have been the top of the ninth, and that put him over his career. Set a new career high uh, in ribs. I think he's got ninety two or like ninety three, maybe now. Uh, so. Uh, good, good to see him. He's got a chance to drive in a hundred this year, which is a pretty good season. Especially he went through a pretty prolonged slump there. So no, all good for the Astros right now. Justin Verlander is supposed to come back later this week, or at least that's the talk. He's going to be back, so we'll see how that plays. Uh, that'll give him a couple starts um, before the playoffs, which sounds good as long as he stays healthy. And again, his injury wasn't like a, um, you know, an arm or a shoulder or anything. So you would think he would be okay. It was like a hamstring. So we'll see how um, how that comes out. Tonight, the rookie makes his second start in his hometown of Detroit. So it'll be even more pressure 
I don't know. Is that to me? That's is that even more like he makes his first start last week and he did fabulous. Well, now it worked out where his second start is in his hometown of Detroit. He grew up a Tiger fan. He grew up worshiping uh, or, or idolizing Justin Verlander when Justin Verlander pitched for the Tigers, and now he's pitching with you know against the Tigers on the field that he dreamed to play on. So wow, gonna be a um, a big night for him, huge night for Hunter Brown. And so we'll see how he handles that. Uh, again, it's kind of like that all that extra pressure that, that Russell Wilson had going back to Seattle. It's just you're not just playing the game. There's just other things in your mind, and we'll see how he handles that. The Astros had a they had a rough series at the beginning of last year with the Tigers where they got swept at home and they could not get a Badu out. I mean, I, I mean it's like Something is not up here. Something is not right here. Something is not kosher. They just could not get them out. Since then, they've done a very good job of getting the Detroit Tigers out, um, um, at least with their starting pitching. And so we'll see. Uh, El Pedro had a couple hits last night, so things are kind of headed in the right direction for the Astros. I don't think Hannah's Mariners played last night, right? They, they were off last night. The Braves did. Uh, they've lost now, what, three out of four on the West Coast, but they got a break in that. The Mets lost two. Mets had trouble scoring runners from um, getting runners in from from third base with less than two outs. I don't understand how what some people to me they look at baseball different. I, I saw a deal where the there's some Mets media and fans they were getting on Darren Ruff. Um, they acquired him from the the Giants. And that he hasn't been hitting, but they they had bases loaded and no outs last night. And I think one of them was Nemo, and one of them was Canna, maybe. And then Ruff came up, and he hits like a little soft liner to right, and they catch it. And they get on Ruff for not getting the hit. Well, no, to me that's messed up. You're not ever supposed to get a hit. I don't think people get that. No one hits over 500. No one ever. Not even Ty Cobb in his prime hit over 500. No one is ever supposed to get a hit. If you have the bases loaded and there's no outs, the guy that you point, if you want to point fingers, you point the finger at the people that had the at-bats with no outs and with one out, not with the guy that had two outs because there's all kind of ways to score a runner from third with no outs and one out. Ain't too many with two outs. It ain't him. Like, the problem is the guy who didn't get it done with no outs and one out. He could have hit a soft liner. He could have hit a fly ball. He, there's all kind of ways to get runners home from third with less than two outs. And plus... You're supposed to do that more than 50% of the time. You're never supposed to get a hit. You're supposed to make an out every time. That's what's supposed to happen when you step at the plate. That's baseball. That's what's different about baseball than football. And people just don't get that. By the way, something else. Again, I know you say, why are you always talking about it? Well, if they would stop saying stupid stuff, I wouldn't have to talk about it all the time. That's not on me. So last, okay, so they're talking about this morning, I'm hearing these, you know, football experts. 
And they're telling, they're talking about the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Um, and they say, well, Dak Prescott with no offensive line is not going to do any good. Well, why not? He's a quarterback. And, and, and I heard the guy say, the other guy said, agreed with it. Said, well, we saw Patrick Mahomes with no offensive line and he couldn't do it. We saw, who was the other person? There was another elite quarterback. Forget which other one, whatever. Throw in elite quarterback name. We saw him with no offensive. Oh, it was Aaron Rodgers. We saw Aaron Rodgers with no offensive line and he couldn't do it. So what makes you think Dak Prescott could do it? Which I get that point, but wait, let's back up a little bit. I thought I thought it was all about quarterback play. So if 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 Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, arguably the two most elite quarterbacks in football, if they can't get it done without a good offensive line, then why you keep praising them so much? I mean, that's ridiculous. Stop putting them up on this pedestal. If it's a team game, say it's a team game. But don't feed me all this garbage forever about it's all about the quarterback and the quarterback does great. It's all about the quarterback. Well, no, it ain't all about the quarterback. If they can't get it done without a good offensive line, then it ain't all about the quarterback. I mean, how hard – why do we keep having to go through this over and over and over again? I wouldn't – do I hate quarterbacks? No. What I hate – it's not that. I hate people that build them up like they're, you know, the the savior coming down from Mount Olympus to save the day. But, boy, if, if they don't have wide receiver, well, Aaron Rodgers, he's not good because he doesn't have any wide receivers. Well, I thought he was the greatest quarterback ever. Why does he need good wide receiver? Oh, because it's a team game. Oh, Patrick Mahomes, did you not see him when he didn't have a good offensive line? He couldn't do anything. He scored nine points. Well, why did he only score nine points? Well, he didn't have an offensive line. Well, I thought he was the quarterback. This, it's all about quarterback. You don't need, I, I thought it wasn't a team game. It's either a team game or it's not a team game. Y'all keep feeding me this garbage. You know, everyone acts like everything, everything that Tampa's done well is because Tom Brady did well. Well, I heard Rex Ryan say it yesterday, and I'm like, thank you. Well, the, the, they won the Super Bowl because Tampa had a great defense. But y'all trying to tell me that that's because of Tom Brady. That's garbage. If Tom Gray Brady didn't have a great defense, they wouldn't have won the Super Bowl. He threw three interceptions in one half of football in the championship game. Man, y'all drive me crazy with this quarterback stuff. And by the way, I'm upset that it happened. But Seattle won last night. So even though I gave you two or three of them, QWs, it's 7-7-2 seven, seven and two is, the, is the, the, the account that we're going to. The, quarter, the teams that had the best quarterbacks in this, it's all about the quarterback, 7-7-2. Seven, seven that was their record in the first seven times the team with the inferior quarterback won. And you know why? Because it's a team game. All that quarterback garbage drives me bonkers. All right, let's take a um, a timeout. We'll come back, talk some game management with Turling's Catholic head football coach, Dane Chaponche. I love talking game management with Dane Chaponche. We're going to do that next. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. 
Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Oh, pleasure cruise. Pleasure cruise. Now, a sports career where things seemingly came easy as the player was surrounded by the best players, the best coaches, and caught all the breaks. Also known as Tom Brady's career. Now, back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. We have with us Turley's Catholic head football coach, Dane Chaponche, who I think his head in the last week has exploded with game management scenarios. How close to accurate am I, coach? Well, I can tell you, uh, it, it, it was not a pleasure cruise last week. <laughs> I just learned that term during the commercial break. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Turling times we living in. Yes. T- times. Yes. Turlings played against the Voils last week, and we touched on it a little bit. And then we, uh, we, I want to, I want, you know, they do what they call, I guess they call that new school coach. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I would call it uh, highly unconventional. You know, it's, uh, I guess there's like a spectrum, you know, where, you know, you, you, you have your ultra-conservative, uh, you know, side of the spectrum when it comes to game management. And whatever the other side of the spectrum is from ultra-conservative, that's where they are. Uh, they are they are not conservative. So explain some of the things that you were dealing with. Well, I think, I think it's gotten national attention, you know, in the past uh, few years, maybe – Starting about eight, ten years ago, they had that coach up in Arkansas at Pulaski right. Academy. And I think he wrote a book about it. I don't know what – I forgot his name. But basically the the the, um, the philosophy is is that, you know, you, you, you never punt the football. You, uh, you go for every fourth down conversion with your offense no matter where you are on the field. And then if you get if, if you do score a touchdown or if you start the game or start the second half with a kickoff, you never kick the ball off to the other team. You you onside kick and try to recover the ball that way. So the only time they also never kick PATs. They go for two point conversions every time. So you know uh, it, it's kind of one of those deals where it changes the whole game because you know we live in a we live in a three down mindset. You know, every once in a while, you, you're going to go for it on sports down, some people more than others. But for the vast majority, you know, if it's third and eight on the minus <laughs> side of the field, you uh, you can expect the punt team to run out there. But whenever you have that four down mentality, it certainly changes the game. So his head probably exploded last night when Denver tried a 64-yard <laughs> field goal rather than going for it on fourth and six. Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a no-brainer. No, they don't they don't kick field goals. Like the only thing they did in pregame, and and I want to be clear too, I'm not disparaging them. They have an unbelievably tough team, and it is not an easy easy week of preparation. You know, yes, they, they win a lot of games with this with this way of playing. I'm I'm not trying to uh, belittle or or disparage what they do, but it's just such an interesting and unconventional way to to play the game. So, 
for those that didn't hear, like, explain what the play, uh, offensive play difference was. So on the night we um, we we ran twenty four offensive plays. Uh, three of those were in victory formation. So we almost ran right at twenty offensive snaps, um, and they ran eighty offensive snaps. It's unbelievable. Well, that shows you how. I mean, first of all, they they're, they're fullbacks, two hundred fifty pounds. I know how much you like fullbacks. You would not like to play against this fullback if he, you know, if he trips and falls, he gets seven yards. Yeah, and uh, he's unbelievable. One of the best high school football players I've I've ever seen. Just at how athletic he is, and how big he is, and how big and physical and strong he is. And um, you know, they don't have a lot of players, but you know, the ones that they had were really big and physical and, and tough kids. And you know, they run double tight, double wings, shoot to shoe, and you know the way they play, man. If they get if they get two and a half yards of play, then you're just never going to get a chance to play offense. And and you have to, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on you as a team because when you do get the ball, number one, you can't turn the ball over. If you turn the ball over, you're going to lose because they might keep the ball a whole half if yeah. you turn the ball over. <clears throat> and so that's the number one thing: you can't turn the ball over. And then the other thing is you you have to. You have to be so sound in what you do on special teams because of, you know, what they do is so unconventional. It takes a lot of work the, the week before. Well, it's a good thing you have Contrell Prejean on your team. Yeah, we like having Contrell. He uh, <laughs> he had four touches and four touchdowns, so uh, he he was bad. He was literally batting a thousand the other night, and uh, <laughs> you know he he had a really good night. We were able to get him the ball a few times and. And he was able to use his speed to make some explosive plays. So we're really excited about that because, like I said, I mean, if if you get behind or if you get into a close game or, you know, you really want to be two scores ahead or three scores ahead or you're really not comfortable because it really doesn't matter. They don't, they don't really care if you – you know, because they know they're going to onside kick it anyway. So if they get two or three onside kicks, you know, those are like turnovers. I mean, they they really are forcing t- uh, turnovers in a, in a way, and so, um, you know, and they're and, and because that's all they do, they've gotten really good at. It. They have about eighteen different ways that they onside kick. Man, and no, it's not like a secret. Like pregame, they come out and just work on onside kicks. Nobody's punting the ball. Nobody's kicking field goals. Pregame, they're just onside kicking. And it, it freaks you out, man. It's like God, dog. Like, <laughs> it, 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 it freaks you out. It, it, uh, I, I, I'm sure it was. Now this week you're playing St. Charles. I've seen them play a couple of times. They're, they're more, way more old school football. Yeah, they're more on the other side of the spectrum. You know, conservative. Uh, you know, special teams is a huge part of what they do. They have they have very good special teams and. I'm glad you want to talk about them because, man, I'm I'm so happy to be to, to be finished with last week. But um, but they no, play they defense. Saw, they play unbelievable defense, you know. And then uh, offensively, they're so diverse. I mean, with what they do, it's unbelievable. They 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 really can run uh, an unbelievable amount of different offense, and and really they're going to see what you're doing on defense, and, and then try to fit what they're doing on offense to you, but. No, they. 
I think they have one of the longest winning streaks right now in the state. You know, they've won 13 games in a row going back to last season. And uh, they, they play championship football every Friday. I mean, the way they, you know, they kind of remind you of Notre Dame. They they really, they I think they really go by that old adage that, that most games are, are lost and not won. And, and they're really gonna. They, they're really not gonna lose any games. You know, you really have to beat them. They, they're not gonna make the catastrophic mistake. Uh, they're not gonna give you any help. And I think that's why they've been so successful. You know, because I think that is true. Most games are lost. Not not very many games are won, especially at the high school level. All right. So who is the individual that scheduled a Voyles followed by St. Charles? Well, that would be me. So, um, <laughs> you know, we had a contract. We had a contract in hand with another 5A school in the Baton Rouge area, and uh, we, we we weren't getting that contract back, and we weren't be able to get in touch with that school. And uh, while we were trying to work that, that contract out with that 5A school for week two, Avoyles called me. And that just shows you how few people want to play this team. Okay, It's a 2A school. And they have us, they have LCA, and they have Southern Lab on the schedule. Man, and I respect that about them because they don't have to go out and schedule those games, but they want to, you know, they want to play those games and, and play good competition. And uh, you know, but but just what they do is so nerve wracking. I, I don't think anybody who knows about it, you know, I was kind of ignorant. Uh, so I, I was getting to where I was desperate for a game. And so when they called me, I said, send the contract, I'll sign it. And I signed it, and then I started kind of researching into it, and I was like, this is going to be crazy. Like, what, what, what are we getting into here, you know? And sure enough, it was, it was nuts. All right, so when you watch a, an NFL game or a college game, how much – like, there were so many interesting game management scenarios over the weekend in the NFL, like – you know, spiking the ball, not spiking the ball, running the clock, not running the clock. What play do you run before a field goal? Do you go on a knee? Do you throw it backwards and lose yards? I mean, what do you what do you see as a coach when you're watching game management decisions at the NFL level? Well, I think you learn. I mean, <laughs> there's so many different situations that can occur, and there's so many different variables that can occur. Uh, whenever you whenever you see a situation unfold, like the Saints game, for instance, to me one one thing that the uh, professionals do that is 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 really better than what college or, or high school teams do is they're way more comfortable clock situations, like they're like low clock situations. And, and, and trust me, it's a lot easier when you're in your living room watching your TV. Then when you're in the heat of it and you're in a competitive situation and you're the person who has the who, who's had the control, you know, right. it, it's a lot it's a lot clearer whenever you're in your living room watching the TV, and it, that even goes for me too. When I'm when I'm on Saturday or Sunday watching TV, it's clear as a bell what needs to happen. But when I'm in the fog of it, sometimes in a game, sometimes it doesn't go quite as well as you wanted to. Looking back, right. And, uh, you know, you're in a competitive situation, and it's all about just like anything else. It's all about experience. You know, if it's a if it's a situation with some of those variables where maybe you haven't done it before, then odds are you you might not be sure about what to do. But the thing that surprised me with the Saints situation is 
you know, they had over 20 seconds left on the clock, and it was third down. And, you know, I know all teams work that emergency field goal situation. So odds are if they would have ran that play, odds are it would have been either a first down or an incomplete pass. I'm pretty sure they weren't going to run the football. But even if they would have ran the football, I think 17 or maybe 18 seconds is the cutoff to where people say you can't run your football, you can't run your field goal team on the field and get it off. And I know all college teams, all professional teams work on that play where we're out of timeouts. Okay, there's X amount of time on the clock. <clears throat> we have a live ball situation. We have to have a, it's called emergency field goal. Well, yeah, but you do know, you want to do there. that to your kicker, though? Or would you rather the kicker be able to relax a little more? Well, it all depends where the kick line is. So that's that's kind of where it comes. Like you know, it comes in. Okay, how far how far can my kicker make a kick? Obviously, you know Will Lutz can make that kick. So if you know he can make that kick and you feel comfortable with him from that distance, why are we spiking the ball with over twenty seconds left? We got to spike the ball with three seconds left. No, that that so, I, that I totally that I totally agree with because. What I did. So to what, me, that, that told me they weren't comfortable with that kick line. They wanted Jameis's mind, or whoever was telling him to spike the ball's mind. We need to get more yards. And it, it's third down. See, that's where these variables, different variables. It was. Coming it was. Play. Yeah. It, it was. It was. Yeah. I think they were confused from the beginning because they th- they they thought Jarvis Landry was in bounds, and I just think they they botched the whole situation. And fortunately, they no, were still no able doubt. To win. Yeah, they, they, that whole scenario. Yeah, but you know what? To their credit, though, to their to their defense, how many times do you see a player in the NFL where you think it's out of bounds and the clock should be dead, but they rule him inbound? Yeah. No. So yes. you know what I'm saying? Like right. to me, everybody thought. I thought it was going to be a, a live ball situation too, a live clock. You yes. Know? Crazy. I'm just you, know, you just don't know how I'm how happy I am that they ended up that Will Lutz made the and they blocked the kick and it's and they're one and zero because zero and one is not fun. But just think if you'd have been on the other side of that thing. Oh. Sixteen. Oh, just awful. Well, all righty, <laughs> sir. I, I appreciate your time as always. Good luck on Friday night. Hey, if you ever get a chance to go watch a Boyles play, go watch him. I'm telling you. <laughs> I know one thing. The cats ain't fumbling uh, no punts. That's what I was about to tell you. They don't even put anybody back there to feel the punt. That is so smart. That's your new favorite team. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. All right. <laughs> Look, I appreciated the Broncos last night. At the end, you needed the ball. Now, they ended up working, but all you needed was the ball. That cat didn't even feel that punt at the end. I just want the ball. <laughs> Thank you, Coach. Hey, they might be listening to you. All <laughs> yes. right, man, have a good one. Thank you. We'll take a timeout. Be back, finish out the first hour on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you, uh, we mentioned it yesterday, Dickie's Barbecue. It's another two-for-one deal from AcadianaDeals.com. Today, you can get a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Pit for just $20. That's a $40 deal for half the price. Once again, visit Acadianadeals.com today 
where you can win a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Pit for only $20. So um, I don't know if you think about watching a game like Dane was just talking where one team ran 80 plays, the other one essentially ran 21 plays on offense, and the team with 21 plays won by double figures. <laughs> just unbelievable. I um, That would have been an interesting game to keep stats on and keep play-by-play play on and look at what it looked like on a play sheet where you, one team goes like takes two full columns and the other one takes about half the first column for their play-by-play. Wow. I can understand how it kind of drove Dane and his staff crazy. But, again, the bottom line is you got the W. Uh, it wasn't fun going through at the moment, I'm sure, but they got the W. And maybe they maybe you can pick up one or two little principles from playing a unique style of football like they have at Avoyles and uh, that you can adopt. Or maybe you say, I don't want to ever schedule a foils again. <laughs> that could be something else that you might think. Normally, those are two-year contracts, so I'm sure he's going to play him return the trip next year. Have fun with that, Coach. We will take a timeout, come back with another hour on the game. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Again, you can watch us on the Simulcast Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. Good time to call in if you want to comment on. It's Tuesday, but it could be a second Monday. Comment on anything happening over this past weekend with the Saints, Cajuns, Tigers, high school football, whatever else you would like, Major League Baseball. Um, you know, it's kind of a – there are some races. There are some things to still be decided in baseball, but not a lot. It is still certainly possible for the Milwaukee Brewers to catch the Padres and or the Phillies. And so that the the bottom one, and it's, even though it's not looking so good anymore, it's certainly still theoretically possible that the Orioles could get into that wild card situation. But, and the American League Central is still very much a race because neither one of those teams have won enough games to pull away from any, you know, the other teams in that race. So, there's some things to be decided, but it's not as – I don't think adding the the, the the third wild card brought as much September excitement. I think if you only had two wild cards, there would be more excitement because then you would have four teams fighting for two spots rather than basically two teams fighting for one spot. But, you know, you know it is what it is. So any of those um, co- topics, certainly feel free to give us a call, 706-0111. Look, this next weekend, and, and we'll talk more about it as the week goes on, and we're going to be talking about the Cajuns in the next segment with our Cajun sideline reporter, Cody Juno. But uh, this is a the first – look, last week was good because it was the first one that all three were playing, the three teams we talked most about. 
Uh, and then you got McNeese as well, by the way, and, and they did not play well last week, so they're hoping to get back. But it is LSU opened an SEC play against Mississippi State. I mean, you had the very disappointing performance against Florida State, and then you had essentially a non-game. It was more about the halftime show in the crowd than it was anything to do with football. So this is like, okay, in the court of public opinion, this team and this coaching staff can win back a lot of fans if they beat Mississippi State. And so that's a big game. The Saints played a yucks. Shame on the NFL for this game being in week two. Just like shame on the NFL for opening up the season against the Falcons. But that's what they decide to do. Uh, the Saints are, you know, looked horrible. Played terrible on, on, on Sunday. Very much still in preseason mode. How much progress they can make, we'll see. I don't know. But a big game. Huge game. Between the Saints and the Yucks. And the Cajuns play a Rice team that Coach Des said yesterday is probably the best team they played so far. So, you know, this game is not as big as the Marshall game or the South Alabama game or the Troy game or any other big games that may be coming down the road, but it's still the best team they played so far. So this is a really nice weekend. Uh, you know, more significance, kind of a different level of significance than this past week's games, and we'll see how that plays out. So it should be an exciting uh, a weekend of football. We'll talk, as I said, more high school football as we as we go on. There's a lot of Thursday games this week. So you might, if you're a big high school football fan, you have an excellent chance of getting two um, games in. You know, um, say Martinville's at Brobridge, I know. I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but Salt Katiana's at home. And again, you can hear that game on uh, Me TV FM ninety seven seven FM thirteen thirty AM or on your app. Hopefully, you've got already got your free mobile app set up for those games, so you you can hear that game. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, you know high, I think there's five high school football games on on Thursday, so it's a big Thursday schedule, and then I, I think the biggest game in the Cadiana area. Uh, kind of the game of the week is Southside against Karen Crow. You know, the Karen Crow Bears have gone on the road. When we talked to Coach Corville a couple of weeks ago, he talked about how they're going to be road warriors. It's like four to six or five of the first six games are on the road. But they went to Alexandria to one. They went to Barman one impressively in both of those matchups. And now they're coming home to take off on Southside. And you can obviously hear the – Karen Crow version of that game at Karen Crow High uh, at Z1059 and the Southside version with on Mustang 107.1. So that should be those two teams played last year and Southside gave Karen Crow quite a game. So uh, that, that should be a good one on Friday nights. Uh, Turlings is playing St. Charles. You just heard Coach Chaponche talk about that. And St. Thomas Moore's hosting Brother Martin. So I think the schedule of games this week for the Cadiana area high school football teams way better than last week. And so could be a lot of good options if you're a high school football fan of where you might want to go watch and see teams play. Um, all right, again, the game hotline is 706-0111. So we've talked about last night's game. Um, 
it was hard to read Russell Wilson. Like, he he looked nervous. He looked extremely nervous. But he did a great it, – it was pretty obvious that he told himself, I got to not be emotional. He wasn't real emotional at all. He didn't look comfortable to me the whole night. He very rarely ran the ball. His deep passes, he didn't throw a lot of them, but the ones he threw were not accurate. Not accurate. And so it was just bizarre. It just, I'm sure he really, really wishes his first game was not at Seattle. You know, the NFL tries to feed this garbage that it's all, you know, it's it's a formula and they put they spit it into a computer and whatever. That's a bunch of malarkey. It, so much of what they, they are so unfair with the schedule and so um strategic with their schedule and uh that was that was not a good you know it was great drama great I guess for the fans I, I don't know how fair it was and I, I I have never seen the whole Peyton Manning Eli Manning thing my daughter uh, my middle daughter Cassidy who's a big Broncos fan was watching him last night and she said that Peyton commented how he didn't have to play the Colts till like week two Year two, I don't think. I don't even know if he played him the whole first. And that that was much easier and that he would not have liked playing him the very first game. That that, that was a tough deal. Um, Javante Williams is really good. <laughs> he is really good. And, um, and you know, if you're in one of these silly little PPR leagues, then, uh, you know, I just hate PPR. I mean, if you like PPR, fine. I mean, it's it's kind of a participation trophy thing, and we're in a participation trophy era. But, man, he probably – I don't know how many points Williams scored last night, but if you're in a PPR league, he probably scored a ton. Uh, of course, he didn't score a touchdown, so that limits <laughs> – they just did not get enough touchdowns scored last night for sure. But um, I, 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 don't, I don't know what I learned last night from the Broncos because it, it was such a unique game and it was so much emotion involved. I I heard some people locally and nationally saying the Broncos were just going to rout Seattle. I just – it's not college football. This is not college football. I, I, I just think that was a little – I mean, if they had gotten a bunch of turnovers, I guess it's possible. But you you just had to know how fired up the Seattle crowd was going to be and how fired up the Seattle team was going to be in this game. I, they were they were just way too motivated. Plus, it's the first game of the season. No one, I guess you could argue the Chiefs were, is essentially at midseason form uh, in the first game. It's a preseason game. That's what it is. And so, I, I don't know, I think it was foolish to think the Broncos were going to go in there and just rout them. Um, just too many different intangibles that led that that were away from that. And again, this is not college football. I mean, even teams like Seattle, who most of us think are going to finish last uh, in their division, they still have plenty of talented players. It's not this is you know the 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 talent. There's not like one team doesn't have very few matchups where one team just has way more talent than now they may have more talent skill positions. But the game is played, it's not just about skill positions. I mean, on paper, the Saints have a lot more talent than the Falcons. What if Falcons took the Saints to the woodshed for most of the game? They totally outplayed them and totally outcoached them. So it was um, 
it, you know, I, I think that was going to be a closer game than most people thought going in. But, you know, when you get to the one-yard line, you got to be able to score. I mean, it's, I, I'm sure the, 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 the talk shows in Denver today are having – I mean, it's going to be a while. Can't even imagine that. Our old friend Brandon Stokely's part of that in Denver. And so I, I'm sure it's going to – they're going to have a field day with all that. It, it, it is – it was – you know, so much anticipation for the beginning of the Russell Wilson era, and then you play a game on, on Monday night, and you have this kind of controversial ending. And you know, it's um, if he'd have made the kick, a lot more people would not be bashing him. A lot of people would be saying, "Well, it's still the wrong decision. It just worked." Ah, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I just think. I think I know that the game came down to that, but really, to me, the game came down to when you have the ball twice inside the five, really you have the ball twice inside the one, more accurately, and you come away with no points, that's what loses the game for you. I mean, you you got to – it just cripples you. If you're inside the one twice and you get zero points out of it, that game was just torture. That's what that game was. It was torture if you're a Bronco fan. A lot of fun if you're a fan of the, of the uh, highlighters. But if you are a uh, if you're a Bronco fan, that game was just pure torture. All right, let's do this. Hannah always tells me no. Let's not do it. And I keep trying to do it. But let's try to get a little early on the first segment so we can have more time for the next one. It's a novel idea. Let's try it. We'll take a timeout. We'll be back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers. And Houston Astros want to tell you RP3 in the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. This Friday from noon to 1, we'll be at the Cigar Merchant at 1001 Coolidge in the All Center, where you will be able to register to spin the wheel for a chance to score a ticket's a pair of tickets to UL football games, a pair of tickets to LSU football games, and other prizes. I don't know if you grew up watching The Price is Right, but a lot of times when you spin the big wheel at The Price is Right, you ended up with nothing. Well, when we had our birthday party at, at B-Dubs, um, when was that, a couple months ago, I saw some people spin the wheel, and it looked like a win-win proposition to me. I don't think there was a whole lot of bad things you could land on. Uh, and so that is a, a, a great opportunity. So make sure you go this Friday, swing by the Cigar Merchant on, on the All Center, CRP3, and spin the prize wheel so you could score free tickets to UL or LSU football games. All right, speaking of UL football game. 
Mr. Cody Juno. I saw him there at Cajun Field where we saw one of the wildest football games you're going to see. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. It's a, you know, it's a lovely Tuesday morning here in the Hub City. Well, uh, you know, what honestly, as honest as you can be, were you thinking at halftime, not that there was a halftime, might have been the only game I've ever attended where there really was no halftime, sort of. But what were you thinking at halftime uh, of Saturday's game against Eastern Michigan? Uh, you know, Casey's got to figure out a way to get it going, right? And But there was some signs of encouragement, at least defensively. You know, and as it worked out, Eastern Michigan goes ahead and, and scores, quote, you know, right before the half. But... <clears throat> When you, when you go back and you look at how that first half was played, and I think what's a really telling sign is that the times of possession are nearly identical, uh, the first quarter and the second quarter in Eastern Michigan's favor as they are in the second half in the Cajun's favor, right? I think you know, the time of possession ended up at 29-30, and, and, or I guess 29-25 and 29-30-35, and right? It's as close as it can get in, in the time of possession when it was broken down, and there were there was no signs of, of life from the Cajun offense in that first half, right? Some major concerns, running the football, playing consistently, catching the football, some of the things that Des talked about yesterday in, in his uh, media availability. But outside of the first drive in which Eastern Michigan takes the football, marches right down the field, and, and scores and goes up 7 nothing, they didn't really move the ball with the exception of what? Cajun penalties, right? number of Cajun penalties really helped Eastern Michigan hold on to the football, thus tiring out the Louisiana defense. And conversely, in the second half, what you saw was, A, the Cajuns take the ball away five times. And I say take the ball away because they weren't just turnovers. And they held on to the football, and ultimately it was the, you know, the that humidity then started getting to those big bodies of, of, of Eastern Michigan. Uh, so good on the defense, minus penalties. Offense has got to figure out a way to get moving quicker, and we saw what they did in the second half. But how much of that was because of, of just how run down, you know, the interior line for Eastern Michigan was? I think that's something to pay attention to moving forward. Well, one of the things that was interesting is, and I I, I actually did honestly think about thinking at the time was that in a game where there was an hour lightning delay, Coach Des said that. Two of the drives were halted in the first possession, largely due to two drop passes because the sun was in their eyes. Yep. I mean, that just goes to the bizarreness of that whole game. But anyway, um, the other thing that concerned let, – let me ask you this. You know, first of all, the offense, they did score touchdowns on seven straight possessions, and, 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 and but, but really – it sputtered. Those first couple possessions were very short fields, so it was the offense didn't really start itself. I think the offense was ignited by defensive turnovers and and the kicking game again with another long punt return by Eric Garra. Well, I'm right there with you. Right, you can go back and you can pinpoint the where the where Cajun Field actually came to life and. Uh, and, and the bench came to life, right? That's one thing I noticed throughout the entire first half. The stands, you know, the fans of the stands, they didn't have anything to cheer for, so they're sitting on their hands. And there just wasn't a whole bunch of energy to start the contest on the Cajuns' um, sideline. And say what you want, but the Juice Crew is now in Gainesville. And, and and that's one of the things I picked up last week was it's a very different feeling um, on the sideline. 
And so, yes, you're exactly right. It goes to the good punt return that kind of sparks it, right? To get defense to stop, uh, punt return, turnover, Cajuns are then able to score, and then defense gets a stop, and all of a sudden the offense has an opportunity, you know, to, uh, after tying it up at 21, has an opportunity to, to, to take the lead for the first time all night. And, we, and to your point, we saw what they did offensively from there. But there were, yes, two big plays, turnover and a punt return that really got, uh, got things rolling for the Cajuns. All right, so it, 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 we've only played two games. And, again, we're speaking with Cody Juno, Cajun sideline reporter. Um, and so I, I don't know that I'm convinced that, that my concern in this area is legitimate, but I'm, I, it's still something high on my radar that I'm going to be watching over the next couple games, and that is run defense. I We've talked a lot about how in the world do you replace all these offensive linemen and these running backs. I'm still worried about how do you replace Taylor Humphrey and – McCaskill and you know guys who will play critical roles in run stopping and then you see that Casey Osai was the leading tackler in the game by far so how do you what, what, what do you think about the run defense and has it been a kind of behind the scenes potential concern for you so far well I mean okay and again because of college football right Sacks are counted against the rush. Uh, yes. Which have, have you not figured out how to get that changed yet? It needs to be changed. Many things need to be changed, and that's one of them. I agree with you. Okay. Um, well, I, I fully expect you to start working on that. Okay. So, um, but you look at it, right? Eastern Michigan ends up running the ball uh, for just 1.8 yards a carry. Um, I think that the concern about the Cajun defensive line is the depth of the line, not necessarily the front-end talent, right? And then that depth took an even bigger hit with uh, Kendall Wilkerson being unavailable, you know, for the entire season, right? And so, uh, but you saw a guy like Marcus Weiser kind of come out of nowhere, right? 99, a pair of sacks for the Cajuns. Um, So for me, I I think the talent is there on the defensive line. The question becomes is the depth, right? And, And I think we saw that early on where, they were on the field a lot, and then depth was started to, to be an issue. It was an issue kind of in the second half of the game against Southeastern. But what a defensive line does, right, they might not make the, quote, play, get the tackle, but if they're engaging blockers, not allowing linemen to get to the second level, it allows your run, your linebackers to run around and make plays. It's what may, you know, to your point, right, Taylor Humphrey and Zion Hill Green working together a season ago, sucking up, you know, three of those interior linemen, most of the time, allowed for our Gardner and, and Lorenzo McCaskill just to run around like animals and just make tackle after tackle, big play after big play, right? And so that's a long-winded answer to say, I think the defensive line is doing its job. The question is, can it hold up over the long run of the season from depth issues? But as long as they continue to do their job, no, I'm not surprised that the Cajun, second, or the Cajun you know, linebacking core is able to run around and make plays. Again, there's a ton of talent on this team. We just don't know a bunch of these guys' names yet, although we're quickly learning them. All right. The other thing that's supposed to happen this week, by all accounts, is that Trey Amos is going to be back as a starting cornerback. How big of an impact do you think it was with him not there, and how much can it help when he returns? Well, again, depth, experience, right? Um, you know, all of a sudden you're playing younger guys, who, are, who, by the way, are getting valuable reps in those first two games, but you're asking them all. Hello? 
Somehow we've lost Cody. Hmm. No, you know, Caleb, to, to go along with what he's saying while we try to get Cody back, it's um, Caleb Anderson got some valuable experience, no question. Um, you know, there were a couple of, like, they gave up the on fourth and 20 from the 25, a 25-yard touchdown pass right before the the first half ended, which was a little disconcerting. But for the most part, they, they've done okay um, in the secondary. Um, but I think it will help tremendously to have Trey back, just like the Saints, and I've been talking all offseason, the similarities between the Saints and the Cajun scenarios. The Saints need to have Paulson Adebo back, and, and the Cajuns need to have Trey Amos back. So hopefully that can happen. Speaking of the injury front, uh, they kind of hinted at it the week before that Landon Burton was getting close, and Landon Burton, former St. Thomas Moore, uh, center is back. Uh, I don't know that he'll be starting, but it sounds like he'll be available. And so part of the rotation. So that would give them a go from a seven to an eight man rotation. Um, he, I think, is primarily a center. You have other guys like David Hudson and Jax Harrington who have experience at both center and guard. And so that, that that would add to that. All right, I think we've got Cody back. Hello, sir. Howdy. No idea what happened. Okay. But uh, here we are. So we were talking about, I mean, I, I think they got valuable experience, but, but having Trey back should help tremendously. Oh, there's no doubt. It's going to be an addition, right? He's a starter for a reason, gives you the length, gives you the size that you want uh, at that cornerback position. And now all of a sudden, you've got another guy for Caleb Anderson, um, you know, and, and some of those other defensive backs to talk to, right? Hey, what are you seeing out there? What's going on? Uh, you know, more real live information. It's only going to strengthen the Louisiana defense. All right. The Cajuns now will go to Rice. And I don't have any idea what to expect in it. Really, in this <clears throat> matchup, I'm thinking, and the reason why I say that is, Rice in the first game went to USC. They were like minus five and and got killed. And then they played McNeese and they were like plus five and killed McNeese. So, I mean, I don't know. If you guarantee me that the Cajuns are going to be plus five, I think the Cajuns are going to route them. But, I mean, I I don't know what even what to think of this Rice team. Uh, no, I mean, look, you, you heard Dez yesterday talk about it, right? The best team that the Cajuns are going to face. And, again, yes, you go over – and you turn over the ball five times, yeah, you're not going to have a very good opportunity uh, to win. And doing that at USC with all the offensive weapons that they have, Lincoln Riley, right, long trip out to Los Angeles, uh, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, the reality is the Rice program is a program that has struggled now for a very long time. But are they maybe starting to turn a corner? We're going to find out. But this is another marquee matchup for Louisiana, um, you know, Rightfully so, Marshall and App State and Georgia Southern get all the headlines last week in the Sunball Conference, right? And they deserve every single one of it. But how about Southern uh, South Al going up and beating Central Michigan, a MAC victory? And I would argue, Kevin, that maybe the most important win for the program itself was Jake Spavital and Texas State beating a Conference USA opponent 
in FIU, right? Because if he loses that game, I think he I think he loses his job. Um, and, and so that's why I say it's the biggest win for for that program. But point being, another opportunity against a Conference USA foe, the Cajuns are a better football team. Make no mistake about it. But they're going to have to play much more consistent than they did the first two times or their first two trips out against Southeastern and Eastern Michigan uh, because they're facing a, a better football team. But as to what, what to actually expect, I mean, other than what Des told me yesterday, right, they're going to be multiple. Um, you know, they're going to be a gap-oriented ball club, have the ability to throw it and run it, uh, it you know, on paper, right? But, the, again, the Cajuns open as an 11-point favorite. So, I, yes, we don't know what to expect other than we know that the game is going to be played in Rice Stadium, and it's a, you know, I would argue something that needs to be needs to happen every year. Um, the the only thing that scares me is I went back and looked at their schedule, you know, their game by game last year. They beat UAB last year, and UAB's not like, you know, national champions, but they're pretty been a pretty solid program in recent years. So, you know, it shows that they have the ability to play at a high level on a given day. Oh well, again, it's, it's college football, right? I think if anything, if you learned anything last year, right, it is or last week, excuse me, It's there's a bunch of parity throughout you know, college football. Um, you know, you look at the way that they closed last season, right? They, they end up going 4-8, and eight and, and, you know, but some of these wins, right, to your point, a, a six-point win over UAB, an overtime, a pair of overtime losses to North Texas and Charlotte, you know, a 10-point loss to UTEP, and then, and then they got Louisiana Tech by four to close out the season. So a bunch of close games, um, you know, so look, I think it's going to be a, a you know four quarter ball game. But in the end, I, the Cajuns, if they play their game right, and don't turn the ball over, they're the better football team, and they should come out on top Saturday. Again, we're speaking with Cody Juno. It is hard to to really evaluate, at least for me and you, I think, uh, what what to make of a running back who looks good in the fourth quarter of a of a you know twenty something point game when the other team's probably emotionally and physically spent. But but Draylon Washington looked pretty good to me. Well look, I think we, I think a lot of us talked about this a week ago. Hey, let's see Draylon Washington carry the ball more. Let's see Jacob Cabote carry the ball more. Let's see Terrence Williams carry the ball more, right? And when you look at the breakdown on the Cajun rushes, eight, eight, seven, nine. It was pretty okay. yeah, it was pretty close, yeah. Eight for Washington, eight for Cabote, seven for Chris Smith, and nine for Terrence Williams. And so, you know, I think that's kind of the balance you're going to see, and they're going to continue to ride that hot hand. But I thought all three of those bigger backs ran the ball with authority uh, when they had to. And then, I mean, look at Chris Smith's touchdown run too, right? He takes that ball inside, he's turning, bounces it out, and then uses able to use his speed to get to the corner uh, and score. And so. When they're all feeding off of each other, um, you know, it's a good thing to see for the for the Cajun rushing game. But I thought all three of those backs really ran the ball well. So in the you know since Coach Napier got here, it's largely been a three headed monster. Is there a chance? Can you really have a four headed monster? I mean, I, I think you can, right? Because I think what Chris Smith allows you to do. Is you, he allows you like why can't you have both of those two of those backs on the field at the same time, right? Um, because of what he can do in the, in the passing game, right? In the myth, in the matchup, you know, nightmares he can create out in space while also having the threat to run the football. Because uh, it doesn't seem like the Cajun quarterbacks are going to tote it a whole lot, right? 
So I do think you're going to have to rely on those backs more. And, you know, again, as the season wears on, will three probably emerge instead of four? Yeah, but I tell you what, it's not a bad thing to have if you've got four guys taking care of the ball back there. Yeah, I, I never bought all that preseason talk. And maybe they'll break it out in a certain matchup and, and good if they – great if they do, if they, if, especially if it can help them win a game. But I never bought all this quarterback running the ball stuff that, you know. No, I mean, I think the Cajuns are – look, we've seen over the last two games, Cajuns are going to take some shots downfield, try to sling it, right? And I think that's what they're going to expect of the quarterbacks. Check into the right runs, you know, check out of them. We saw that a lot with Ben Woolworth, right? He, there were a, a number of run plays where he saw the off corner. He took the short throw, and 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 it worked out for the Cajuns. So, you know, I think that's kind of the recipe of what what to expect from the uh, from the Cajun signal callers. And for all those fans and I don't know media members, whoever who who hate the idea of playing both quarterbacks, I, I think I think they're in trouble because uh, it worked pretty well. Well, not only did it work pretty well, but it, but it sounded like listening to you know to Coach Des yesterday that this is not just a you know non-conference type deal, right? This is something you could see the Cajuns uh, do for the, the the remainder of the regular season. Well, I definitely think if as long as they keep playing well, they they, they will both play for sure. And Ben, I thought looked really good. And again, he he was twelve of thirteen. And if you go back and watch it, I think the best throw he made the whole day was the incomplete pass, the one incomplete pass he had. That was a great throw. That was the best throw I saw the whole game. So it was, um, uh, no, that 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 part is going very well. So we'll see what happens on the first road trip. Um, hopefully the Astros can keep winning. Hopefully the Saints can get a win, and we'll have a very pleasant conversation next next Tuesday. I'll, uh, I'll give you a live report Friday night from Minute Maid Park. How about that? All right. That's a great plan. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. All right, buddy. We'll talk next week. Take care. Friday night, he might actually see Verlander. I haven't seen it, but they talked about Verlander might pitch later in the week, so it could be Verlander's return on Friday night. We'll see how that plays out. Appreciate Cody Juno as always. We'll take a timeout, come back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers. And Houston Astros want to remind you about the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. If you would like to win, there's all kind of great reasons to win free stuff, especially free food. And so uh, you might want to go on a date. You might just need a break from work and, and, and or your team might have lost and you just need to drown your sorrows in a, in a steak or some seafood. Uh, whatever the the reason, you need to join the game clubhouse where you might win a hundred fifty dollar gift certificate to let Mr. Lesser Steakhouse, a fifty dollar gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or a twenty five dollar gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. 
can't win any of those prizes if you don't join. It's free. It's simple. So sign up today by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. One of the things I commented on last week that I, I still kind of believe is this whole idea that you make your biggest improvement from game one to two. I just don't really buy that. I just think that's something people say. I sure hope the Saints do it. I think some people improved. I don't know that most teams improved or the vast majority of teams improved. I think a lot of that has to depend on what opponent you play, et cetera. I mean, you know, the Cajuns scored more points, but they also had a lot more penalties. Now, um, You know, if you listen to Coach Dez, a lot of those pen. If you read between the lines, you know, a coach doesn't want to be critical of the officials because then you can, you can kind of get in trouble and you can get a rep, reputation, especially as a first year of a head coach. I don't know that you want to do that. But if you read between the lines, he didn't agree with all those calls. And he didn't think, you know, he used the word egregious or not egregious that the roughing the passer flags that were thrown on the Cajuns were not egregious, in his opinion, and that some of the false starts, there were some other issues going on. But anyway, it sounded like some gamesmanship was going on on the field that he was hoping to get taken care of and and wasn't. But still, they had 10 penalties. They went from four penalties to 10 penalties. And to Cody's point, a lot of the early momentum, not all of it, because I thought Eastern came out and played pretty well. You know, Taylor Powell, I didn't think was a great quarterback, but he made some really nice passes. I thought they had a good game plan. Uh, I thought they ran a lot of really nice plays. You know, that I, I, I was thinking, I don't know how your mind works, but they ran, they went for, they had it, was it their first drive? I think it might have been their first drive of the game. They had it fourth and two from the three-yard line. And their fullback made a jump pass, Tim Tebow-like jump pass to a wide-open tight end. I wonder if the Saints have that in their playbook for a two-point conversion. Why can't Taysom Hill get the ball and throw it to a wide-open tight end? You see, that's what I call getting the first down, or in this case, getting the touchdown in the huddle. You get it in the huddle with the play call. When you run a running play, I mean, you have to execute any play. But when you run a jump pass and throw it for a touchdown to a wide open tight end in the end zone, that's getting in my, the way I look at that, that the play call did that. Yeah, the players can't fall down and you still have to, you know, convert and make an easy play work. I mean, you got to execute any play to make it work. But that's not – when you run the ball, there's a lot of blocking that has to happen. The running back has to not slip, and the running back has to maybe take a hit and, and move forward. There's a lot – like, you look at the two-point conversion that the um, Giants got that won the game against the Titans. Did you see that? It was one of those little inside shuffle passes to Barkley. It wasn't a great play call. He got hit twice behind the line of scrimmage. 
He had a long way to go, a lot of execute. That that was not that play call did not get him that two point conversion. It took an above average effort from the running back to get that two point conversion. I, I just don't know how teams cannot convert more two point conversions, or in the case of the Broncos last night, score from inside the one yard line. With a play call in the huddle, it seems like, I mean, you you can't, I get that you can't use the same play call over and over because teams will adjust. But why can't you just have a different one? Why can't you have one good play call when you're near the goal line? Why can't you do that? I mean, most teams don't. I mean, they either either run the ball or they throw the ball up for grabs and hope the guy catches it. That's not a play call. It's a play call, but it's not what I call getting the first down or getting the touchdown in the huddle with a great play call. That's just, we're just going to run an old play and just hope it works. Or in the Saints case, let's run Superman in the shotgun and run him right like everyone in the stadium knew was going to. I mean, how could you make a play call that bad? How can your play call be that bad? I don't understand it. And I understand that the Broncos were running the ball really well last night, but man, you got to have a play call. Just got to. I guess not everybody has a running back that can throw it, but when you have one, how can you not at least do that sometimes to get it in the mind of the defense? I still say Batman has got to throw the ball more. He's got to. I just don't get why, if they think I'm wrong about that, and obviously they do because they never do it, why? How can that be wrong? How can it be a wrong thing for Batman to never throw the – I mean, how can it be a right thing for him to never throw the football out of the Wildcat? I I just – to me, you're making the job easier on the defense. I just don't get it. I mean, what are they waiting for, the playoffs or the Super Bowl to run that play? I I don't – I just – I don't get how you cannot have better two-point plays. I just don't get it. And so I wonder, like, Dane, Coach Chaponche was talking about this coach from Avoyles. They don't ever kick extra points. They go for two. They must have a lot of two good two-point plays. Of course, if you're running, if you're playing high school football and, and your fullback is 250 and he gets two yards falling forward, like Dane says, and I guess it's a lot easier to convert a two-point conversion. But, uh, you know, with the competition, the athletic ability is is similar. But, no, it's a little more difficult. But not – not. I just don't get it, how you cannot have a play call, one a game where you're ready and, and, and it's creative. And if you, if you just do your basic execution, the guy's probably going to be wide open. Can it really be that difficult? But apparently it is because hardly no one does it. The Saints never do it, ever. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. And by the way, we're going to be, the plan is to talk to Luke about the Saints. I'll ask Luke, maybe Luke. Luke's smarter than me, so maybe he can come up with a reason why the Saints never have a good two-point play call. We'll take a timeout, come back, finish out today's show on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Astros 
Game two of the series against the Detroit Tigers at 540. Again, a little bit of an unusual. It's a 640 their time, Detroit's Eastern time. But um, Hunter Brown against Drew Hutchinson. As I said, Hunter Brown from Detroit, grew up a Tiger fan. His hero was Justin Verlander, who's now a teammate. He went to college um, at, what was it, Wayne College or something, which is a little school like a mile or two from the stadium, from what I understand. So, you know, that's going to be a big, big, big moment for him. And so we'll see how, if he continued to pitch well. The Yankees open up a series. And by the way, I heard Martin's call singing happy birthday to RP3. That was pretty classic. I got to give. That might have been, first of all, it takes some guts to sing on the air. And, and, and he did that. And plus, his comments after the uh, Happy Birthday song were very funny. I mean, I I, I got to give Martin some kudos here. That was quite a phone call. But um, And he's right. It does not look good for, for, for his Cowboys. Now, it's probably not as dire a situation. We tend to overreact in the moment. We all do. Um, it's probably not as dire as... Where most of us are saying, but it, it don't look good. It don't look good for his little Cowboys. But his Red Sox are playing the Yankees. Man, it, is it me? It just seems like the Yankees have played the Red Sox about 30 times this year. But anyway, they're playing tonight, by the way, at 610. That's on TBS. Garrett Cole against Nick Pavetta. Nick Pavetta is not a household name, but he I know he shut the Astros down. I mean, he's had some really nice performances at times this year, so that'll be an interesting. And the Brewers are playing at the Cardinals, and uh, that's, that's, that's another big game. And Atlanta plays the Giants again, and they beat them last night. San Diego opens a series against Seattle, and San Diego's very much in the wild card race, as is the Mariners, and that's you Darvish against Logan Gilbert. So some really nice baseball matchups. Uh, today and 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 that doesn't even include Toronto uh, hosting the Rays. So that's two teams very much in the wild card race in the American League playing against each other. And the Blue Jays won yesterday, so kind of jockeying for a position there. So lots of I know it's football, but if you want to take a little break from football today, some really nice baseball matchups. Uh, and the Astros hopefully will get another win against Chuck Woods, Detroit Tigers. And speaking of Chuck Woods, it's his birthday too. So happy birthday to both of our bosses here at the game. So, no, uh, great job by Cody. And um, and appreciate Dane coming on. Just game management is fascinating to me. I know sometimes it sounds like I get really angry, but I just a lot of times I'm like, there's got to be something I'm not getting. What is it? And most of the time, I never really get that answer. But uh, appreciate them coming in and y'all phone calls. Every one of y'all have a very nice day.